Episode 124 of Outlander Cast is brought to you by MinutesWithMary.com. Okay, the holidays are coming and Outlander's coming back. So you just might want to be a little zhuzhed up for those Sunday evenings at home because Jamie Fraser's going to be looking back at you with those sultry eyes. <laughs> Let's be real. The holidays are coming up and you might want to wear a new lip shade, maybe try out some new foundation. Who knows? You might want to spruce it up a little bit. I'm here for you. All you need to do is search the hashtag Minute with Mary and I'll have you looking all sorts of fine Sassanac. Just for Jamie. Just for Jamie. <laughs> that was great. Good job. All the way from Cranston, Rhode Island, welcome to Outlander Cast. It's a podcast dedicated to the show Outlander on Stars. Welcome back. My name's Mary Larson. My name's Blake. And I love this episode. I love this episode so much because it actually kind of proves me right on a couple of oh, things. Blake, that's like your favorite thing when you are right. And the, on Outlander, when your outlandish theories are right. That's right. We all know and love that bell. Uh, a while back, a while back, I'd say uh, maybe last year, I wrote a very specific article about Ron Moore and his show Running Duties. And all I'm going to say is go back and read that article. Blake. Listen to this episode and just tell me that I was that, that I was right. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. That's all I want to know. Listen, this is a great pregame episode for uh, Outlander Season 4. You're more than likely listening to this after we had our interview with one Diana Gabaldon. Thank you very much for continuing to uh, stay with us and uh, listening to Outlander Cast. We are very, very excited about Season 4. And to help us do that, we've brought in some help. Uh, like I said, this is about it. Like This is like... Um, this is like one of those pregame shows you see before, like the World Series that's playing right yeah, now, yeah. or before like the Super Bowl. Everybody, everyone wants to talk about Outlander. Everybody wants to talk about the Super Bowl or whatever. This is your time to to get your pregame on. Just just no alcohol <laughs> or or tailgating or any of that. It's just but maybe maybe you're drinking a, a glass of wine. I don't know. Maybe you do. I'm laundry. having tea. I'm having tea. <laughs> well, before we get into our interview with Lynette, we are going to want to make sure that you follow us and subscribe to the podcast. You can find us, of course, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, all with the title Outlander Cast, and you can become an official member of the Outlander Cast clan at OutlanderCast clan.com where you can get great benefits and extras this season like off-air podcasts, access to Outlandercast giveaways, free swag, and much more. Joining us today is Lynette Rice. She is the West Coast news editor for Entertainment Weekly, where she's worked since 1999 covering the TV industry. But we all know her as the lead writer for all things Outlander for Entertainment Weekly. Lynette, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today on Outlander Cast. My pleasure. So did you go to New York City Comic Con? What was that experience like? I did go. Uh... 
that is actually the first time I've ever been to New York Comic Con, and I. But this time, I also wanted to go because Outlander didn't go to San Diego, which was a big letdown for those folks. But it was a big deal to take the show to New York, and obviously the timing worked out great because you know the show is about to start in November. Um, so I uh, went to. They did. Um, they did a, a screening. And then they had a panel in Madison Square Garden. They have a, a one of the smaller theaters in there, and well, it's actually not so small. It's, it can fit four thousand people, uh, and it was funny. You know, they they brought the media in separately. We had our own little line, but they brought us in late, so we missed the intro where they surprised everyone by saying Diana is here. And so we missed that, and then we missed the you know the very teensy beginning of the episode, um, which I'd already screened, but um, just for purposes of my stories. But um, they showed it to um, the uh, the obviously the room, which was fun to sit in. I mean, there's always people policing the aisles to make sure that nobody is um, obviously pirating the dang thing. But you know, I was. I was not going to give away stuff, but I was just wanting to tweet audience reaction. But I got off maybe two tweets and some dude like threatened me with my life if I didn't put away my phone. (laughs) He was like, like, I'm just tweeting, guy. I'm just (laughs) tweeting. Um, But it was, I just wanted to, you know, post a few notes because it was so fun to hear people react. Uh, obviously, obviously, there's always going to be people like totally clapping and like, oh, my God, it's Sam. Oh, my God, it's Katrina. But uh, there were moments that had laughs and there were some really like, oh, shucks moments. And to hear that kind of reaction, maybe I was just sitting next next to a really, you know, demonstrative woman. But there was one, she just couldn't, she was just blown away. And what was significant is that after when Diana came back on stage, she said that everyone laughed at just the right places where she was hoping, which I thought was a nice endorsement by her. So what were your overall thoughts for the premiere? And even, you said you got screeners, so uh, where season four is headed? Um, um, I have to tell you, so whenever that, you know, title music starts up, uh, you know, sing me a song, it makes me long for all the great time that I've been able to spend in Scotland. And I just get all wistful, like, oh, I want to be back there. Uh, and, but, you know, it's not in Scotland this year. It's, it's in America. And so my fear was like, I would totally miss seeing, you know, men in tartan skirts and whatnot running around. And, but I didn't. I didn't feel that at all. I mean, they get, they start on their travels pretty quickly. I mean, you know that they uh, end up in North Carolina and then they head over to um, Aunt Jocasta's house. And so the adventure begins very quickly. And I mean, I didn't miss Scotland at all. I, I really didn't. And it's neat as the episodes progress. Um, uh, you see them going out to the frontier and you see them basically carving out a new life for themselves, which I thought was pretty neat. So I, um, I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, uh, I've already seen the episodes where we see, uh, Richard Rankin and, um, and Sophie Skelton 
And I just, you know, they're better than ever. I mean, Rich, Richard is such a natural at playing Roger. He's so much fun to watch. And they have some really great stuff together. I mean, people who have read the book know that it gets heavy for them this year, and they really don't disappoint. I, I, I was thrilled to watch what they've done. And so far, it seems um, they've been, you know, as, as much as they can for a book that's so long, they've been pretty true to the story. Uh, so, and I, to me, I just don't understand how they do it. I mean, it's just much work to adapt those freaking long books. Mm-hmm. I mean, my God. You know, we're talking about Scotland and North Carolina, and we want to know about the set visit this year. Did you get a chance to go and visit the set again for this season? I So the last time I went was in October, and I went basically for the, for the first episode. And so that was the last time that I got to go. Um, uh, and that was, you know, so the, while I was there, they were shooting the first episode, and uh, it was a it's a scene in North Carolina, and I got to walk around. At that time, too, I saw the sets. I saw how they built um, Wilmington. You know, they it's probably about in like an outdoor area. Those I feel like it was maybe within fifteen twenty minutes of Cumbernauld Studios. They and it was all muddy because um, it was out in the the rain, but it looked super. And then what what's really incredible. And what you'll see is that, I mean, it, the season is such a triumph to computer-generated gen- images. I mean, you already have seen in the promos that they're standing on the cliff looking out into the wilderness like the scene in, from Last of the Mohicans, you know. Uh, and that's all green screen. I mean, they just they did so much work just standing in front of literally a green screen. It's crazy. It looks so good. And, and like... Matt told me for the cover story that we did recently, I mean, it's certainly their most ambitious, see expensive one yet because of all those effects that they had to do. Um, um, so, but, and I, I love when I talked to him about it, he said that after South Africa, he got on a plane and flew to North Carolina because he wanted to see can parts of Scotland really double for North Carolina, and he was happy to find that, yeah, that was the case. Um, you know, they, they had, because they had to do these forest scenes, too, and um, there's forest in Scotland that they could make it look all North Carolina-like, and in fact, I I went to another scene at nighttime uh, with the Sam and Katrina were, were shooting with uh, uh, the actor who played Stephen Bonnet, and um, that was it's already starting. It was already starting to get cold too. And then you just imagine what it must be like for these actors to stay out here till five o'clock in the morning and do this stuff. I mean, I was ready to leave in like an hour. It's like, okay, I'm done. Cold. Gotta go. You know, and they're out there forever. <laughs> you know, what was the overall mood? Yeah. Like what, how were they able to do that and be able to stand in that cold and, and yet know that this is a new season? What's funny, I asked her, I asked Katrina, it's like, when you have nights like this, does this make you hate your job? I don't know if I said hate, but I said they said they're close to that because people don't really realize, they just see the glamorous side to making a television show. They don't see the long, arduous hours, and they're long hours. Mm-hmm. And she, she's always so chipper about what she does. She says, you know, she, I, yeah, she doesn't... 
she gets sad not being able to sleep, you know, but she enjoys her job. I mean, she's, that's what's so remarkable about these two is that they're very professional. Once they get out there, I mean, I would, you know, kick and scream like a baby, uh, <laughs> but they're always prepared and they're always great about it. And, you know, they keep themselves entertained, but it, you know, where we were at, we were a ways away from base camp. And so there wasn't any trailer to retreat to, and it was cold. And um, there was a scene involving a horse and a carriage and the carriage part of it kind of broke and it was delaying filming and see, there's a lot of waiting around. And then they have to do multiple, when you shoot a scene, you take it from multiple angles and, you know, from multiple points of view, which just draws it out that much longer. You know, that's why, I mean, we, as reporters, we, we'd like to go on a set. We'd like to get some color, but we're not going to stay there the whole time because it's the same scene being done over and over again, just from like 20,000 different points of view. So it just, I, I, I'm ready to go in an hour and a half and they're here for 10 more hours. And so it's such a, it's too bad that fans can't really see what it's like because it's not so glamorous. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like we all just say, oh my God, I'd love to be a movie star. Yet you you don't realize that it's just so cumbersome sometimes. Mm -hmm, I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, it's so long, those long days. And then they're, they're not eight hour days, you know, they're 14 hour days. And And can you imagine like you had to do a sex scene on that 14 hour a day and to remain all hot and bothered in like in character for 14 hours. I couldn't do it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see how they do it. I mean, it's their job. I know. And they get paid the big bucks to do it, but it's to me, it's remarkable. It's remarkable what they pull off. So anyway, yes, they were still very happy about it. And I think it's, it was exciting for them because it is an, a new ground. Cover. I mean, they're it's whole new characters. You know, they meet um, uh, Native Americans, and you know, then there's all the the crazy people that come with living out on the frontier, and, and so uh, they were pretty good spirits about it. But you know, things are also going well for them, Sam and Katrina, in their lives away from Outlander. I mean, they both books movies during their hiatus, which ain't so bad. I mean, uh, Sam has been in um, South Africa doing uh, this graphic novel turned movie with Vin Diesel, which is kind of cool. And in fact, he's on the same studio lot that he was for season three. And he recognized some of the old crew members that worked on Outlander. So he went off and did that. And then Katrina went off and did, um, she's doing this Ford versus Ferrari movie with Christian Bale, and that's kind of bitching. And so things are good for them. Is that, is that the uh, the Sam Hewen movie? Is that uh, Bloodshot with uh, Vin Diesel? Yes. 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 Okay. He, wouldn't, he wouldn't give me a lot of detail about his character, but he said he really bulked up for that role. Like, he can bulk up even more, right? And so, and... <laughs> First, I asked him, you know, can you, can you take Vin Diesel? Can you take him? And he said, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I would believe that. There's actually rumors of uh, of Sam uh, in the running for the next James Bond. Is this something that we should actually be excited about? Or is this just no. a bunch of fan stuff? <laughs> fan hopes and I dreams. 
Um, I don't think it would happen. Um, uh, I think, you know, it's great about this fan base. They're so huge and they're so vocal. Look what they just did for Diana. They got her on the 100 uh, most popular you know, books, and she's number two mm-hmm. behind, behind To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, that speaks to the strength of the fan base. I, I know that there's plenty of them out there that think that Sam should be the next Bond. I don't know if it would go that far, because you have to remember, too, that Outlander, even though it's like front and center in our lives, for the rest of America, they're like, what? <laughs> you know, they don't. It, this show doesn't reach the audience that Game of Thrones does. Um, many, so many of the shows on broadcast television, even the other show on Stars, Power, that's the most powerful show on Stars. And so, there's still plenty of people who don't uh, know who Sam is, but they're starting to really know what Outlander is because we in the press, there's many more outlets that are covering the show simply because of the love affair that ha- that happens between the two characters, the two central characters. Mm-hmm. And so I think people pay attention to that. But beyond that, I don't think they would really recognize Sam's body of work, which is a travesty. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think is holding uh, Outlander back uh, from becoming like, from taking that next step uh, to be in that, that, that next level of television? Um, it's on a premier network. It's on a subscriber network. It's still, even though it's uh, subscription base continues to grow, uh, it's not at it's not at the level of HBO mm-hmm. um, or even broadcast. It'll never be at the level of a broadcast network that holds it back. Um, and also, it's the same thing holds it back hold, holds Outlander back that holds every other TV show back. There's so many good shows. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's so much to choose from. And um, so much of the artwork that comes from stars focuses on Jamie and Claire and, you know, looking longingly in one of each other's eyes. And, and so your instant reaction is it's a romance. And so is that going to attract a large audience? You know, it's going to attract a lot of women, but is it going to attract the men too? Um, Because that's what you need. You really need a show that attracts the largest audience. And and I don't know if Outlander will do that. Even though there is, there are plenty of guys who have read those books because there's such an incredibly strong historical element to to the whole series. Mm -hmm. But um, it, it does scream romance. So I think people unfairly write it off that way that eh, they're just too lovey-dovey and yeah, they're just having sex over there. <laughs> In your dealings with them, do you, do you have the sense that, you know, they, they're not entirely sure how to market it for the widest audience or is that, are they doing the best job that they, that you think that they can? I think they're doing a really good job. I mean, I think that the show gets a ton of press. Look at how many covers we've given them. We've given them so many covers. And I know that especially after last season, before last season, they were getting a lot more um, uh, TV appearances, you know, when they show up on The View and in late night, you know, Katrina did late night. I know Sam showed up on, I think he was on live with um, Kelly and Ryan uh, there, you know, when they could open Comic-Con so well, they're about to this weekend 
they're going to the Savannah Film Festival. I'll be there as well, and we'll they'll show the episode again. I don't know when you, you're going to drop this um, podcast, but this weekend on Sunday, they're going to screen it again, and they're going to do another panel, and that's going to be for an audience of a thousand. So they're very so Stars is very good about getting them out there, and I think there is more recognition. Um, but I think it just might be the nature of the show. It's, um, it's a romance. And the other thing too, is it is, it is serialized. Uh, I, I think this is where you need to know the backstory. I feel like you also need to know it to fully appreciate it. So I'm, well, I, I, I don't know if you can really pick it up now in season four. I, I, I think, well, you, I feel like you would be, um, shortchanging yourself if you did. And and so just like I feel like you'd be shortchanging yourself on any serialized show. So, you know, a lot of people don't want to take the time to go back and binge the first, you know, three seasons, which isn't that hard. It's only 13 episodes a season, but it's an investment of time. So, uh, but, but the good thing is, is that I feel like this is a show that will definitely live for some time long after they stopped making the episodes, this is a show that people will be able to binge later, which is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Last season, you gave us those tidbits about the Bob Dylan song last year, and we didn't know if there is anything that you think we as fans should be looking forward to or out for, um, in particular when it comes to season four. Are there any little tidbits like that? Well, the first episode, definitely, there's a little, there's a little tiny switch um, to what happens in the book. And fans will notice it. I didn't notice it until I talked to somebody at Comic-Con. I, I'd already seen the episode. Mm -hmm. And then I saw it again at Comic-Con. It still didn't dawn on me because, you know, the problem is, even if I read the book, I just can't remember these things the way these Outlander fans do. I mean, they remember every freaking page. Uh, an Outlander fan came up to me and said, oh, this is not the way it happened in the book. I'm like, oh. Oh my God, you're right. I know what exactly you're talking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, you'll know. Then you'll know. And then also they do. Um, they have some some more fun with um, contemporary song titles and in the way they incorporate them into. Uh, they they incorporate a song into uh, the first episode, which I think is beautiful. It was beautifully done. Um, it'll stop you. It'll definitely mm -hmm. stop you the way that uh, Bob Dylan stopped you. I mean, the, you know, your first instinct is like, wait a minute, this is a time traveling um, story. We're in 18th century and you're playing a Bob Dylan song. Remember that feeling. But then once you got into it, you, you got into it. Yes. It's, it's going to jar you the same way with this song. But I got into it. I thought it was incredibly well done. I know that they had some reservations about it. They're a little worried. I talked to, again, at Comic-Con, I talked to a few fans that were like, eh, I'm not sure I liked it. Mm -hmm. So it, it may be a, another, a polarizing moment, but that's great. I mean, I think it's great to get you talking about um, what they do. I, they're taking chances, which I think is a great thing. Agreed. So there's two things to look out for. <laughs> and just the first episode, yeah. <laughs> just the first episode, just the first episode, yeah. Definitely. I, I, I've been theorizing because I'm just a show watcher that, you know, this season I feel like is going to serve as almost kind of like a handoff to, to Roger and Bree. Would that be a fair assessment or am I way off? I think it will be a fair assessment. I'm not reading ahead. I read the book before I go report on the season. 
So I think the next book is that, I think it's more Roger and Bree, right? Just when I sit down to write about the show, I know that so many people who are going to buy the magazine have already read the book. Mm -hmm. So it feels very disingenuous to hold stuff back in the story because uh, so many people know what to expect from, or what certainly will they hope for from season four because they read Drums of Autumn. And so it feels weird not to be able to go into that much detail. But they, you know, Stars claims each year they continue to get new viewers. So you have to be respectful to those who spoil. I've heard so many different stories about the next book. I've heard people claim that Drums of Autumn was a little slower. But then I've heard other people say the next book is very slow. I think there's also, it's, I think... There's so much story in five and six. I know there's a lot of thought about how to adapt those. Do you adapt it all together for a season? Do you split up a book? I mean, I think there's a lot to go over uh, in that regard. But definitely, yes. I mean, I've been trying to push for, can I just get Richard and Sophie on a cover by themselves? Because I know that happening so if it doesn't happen next year i feel like i've completely failed <laughs> i mean it, they'll deserve a cover definitely and, and and the fans are already asking for it with them too and they're so great together there's just so great the difference between interviewing them now versus when they first um uh joined the show it's like night and day night and day so it's been it's great Great. We were at Comic-Con with you. Um, we didn't get a chance to meet up, unfortunately, but we were there with you. And, you know, when, when we watched the premiere, I felt like it uh, took its time. It slowed everything down from that, you know, frantic pace that we were that we were looking at and watching at the end of season three. Since you've seen the screeners and you know what's to come, do you feel like that pace continues or does it does it quickly get ramped up? I mean, there's no big battles at Culloden, as you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's nothing in terms of that level of intensity. Uh, you you just come to expect that they're going to be on their own for a while and, as they build this home for themselves. And so there's a lot about that. And then adding to that journey is the people they meet along the way. And there are people that Claire in particular meets out in the frontier that she has her own adventures with small open and closed adventures. There are blasts from the past who come in um, people from last season who will come back into their lives, which is uh, welcome. I, you know, I completely forgot about some of them. It's like, Oh yeah. Welcome back. So yeah, those kind of moments. Um, and those are very interesting, but in terms of, you know, there's no, um, I mean, there's certainly no conflict between the two of them. You, you, you know, they're, they're so happy to be together. There's, so they're all love and joyous as they build their little cabin in the woods and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a different kind of intensity. Uh, um, I, again, I, I liked it. I thought it was kind of cool. I was eager to see because we don't know that they're going up. We heard so much about it, this idea called Fraser's Ridge. And so I wanted to see how it comes to fruition. And you start to see that. Uh, it's, it's, it's cool. I, I've only seen through episode five and I know so much more is going to happen simply because of, I, you know, I've read the book 
Mm-hmm. And um, um, so I, 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 I can't, I think it's going to get, it's really going to ratchet up in that back because mm-hmm. there's just so much more action there as your wife will know because she's read the book. <laughs> I was just thinking all the show watchers are going to be nodding their head along while they listen to that point saying, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's going it's to really pick up the first five. I mean, yeah, they're pretty dang happy. Uh, they have good sex. Um, um, they're, they built a lovely cabin. It just seems, you know, it's equipped with everything. Um, um, it's, I mean, it's a pretty good life and you meet the native Americans very quickly and, uh, talk about a testament to the, you know, the work of Terry Dressback. I mean, the, the costume is, 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 is awesome. And so, um, and then there's some otherworldly moments that are strange, very strange. Um, but you know what that is um, from the book. Uh, so, but I, you, you definitely get the sense that, okay, it's not going to stay blissful for long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we are fascinated, like completely fascinated by the creative team structuring with Outlander. It's such a dynamic group, how they kind of interweave with one another. And we would like to know if you can clarify the creative process in the show for us. You know, Ron is the showrunner, but what kind of responsibilities has he put in the hands of, say, Matt Roberts and Tony Graffia? Well, really, if you want to get truly technical, um, the day-to-day showrunners are Matt and Tony. You know, they, they're they basically ride, running the writer's room, and they are also take their turns out on set. Ron is still very much a part of it. He oversees what's going on, but he's also elsewhere. You know, he also was looking for other things. So he has... He has taken he's taken a bit of a step back. Um, uh, when I am writing writing about this show, they put me on the phone with Matt Roberts, and he knows this backwards and forwards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when the panel's in Savannah, Ron will be on that panel with Meryl Davis, who again, Meryl is always out there um, with the show. But, you know, Meryl and Ron have a production company, and a production company is supposed to make many things. And so I'm sure they're busy also looking what's next to do. I think Matt and Tony, I feel like they're in it for the long haul. I feel like Matt will stay with it till the end. I mean, usually, as you know, uh, great TV writers, they end up sometimes leaving a show. They don't stay to the end because they cycle in different writers. Um to make it happen because sometimes writers don't want to stay with something very long. It, it doesn't feel that way with at least Matt. I've spent more time talking to him than Tony. I feel like he's going to stay with it. And, and I feel like this show could definitely, well, we already know it's been picked up for two more seasons. And so, I mean, uh, I feel like Matt will go there through at least that, but you know, if Sony has their way, they want to make it for as, you know, as long as, as um, Diana has written books for it. And that's, as you know, many more. So I think it's really, all the, it's up to the actors mm-hmm. um, how long they want to go. Um, so I, so Ron still, it's part of his fear, but on a day-to-day basis, no, it's not. Do you see Matt ever like overtaking like the actual showrunner job? Is this kind of like, is, is this his um, audition? He is basically the showrunner. Okay. He and Tony are like the co-showrunners. They run the show. Ron still has the executive producer role, 
mm-hmm. he still has extra he still participates in you know the the discussion of it but I think Matthew and Tony have been empowered to essentially run it. Gotcha. You know, they're, 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 so Ron is still very much a factor, but on a day to day, let's get this engine going. It's really Tony and Matt there. I feel like the heavy lifting is coming from them. Stars may say something a little differently, but it's apparent that this is really Matt and Tony's show. And this kind of runs into my next question for you, which is, you know, the the list of directors, you know, I'm not sure if it's entirely official, but the list of directors has come out and it seems like it's mostly female driven. Is that something that Matt and Tony really tried to drive home for season four? I mean, I remember season two, they didn't have a single female director at all. Was this a conscious choice? Um, you know, it's funny. One of the new directors, too, is producer Denise Denovi, who's a big Hollywood movie producer. And I mean, it's a it's a big addition to have her on the roster. Um, I don't pay attention as much to directors. I the fact that there are more females right now, I'm not necessarily surprised with that, given the climate in Hollywood right now to um, hire more women, to put more women in these roles, especially in light of the Me Too movement. Um, um, so, I mean, that's a good thing. Uh, um, so I, I haven't noticed that as much. It's, you know, it's funny in TV, it's just, uh, you, you know, in movies, you pay attention to a director because it's basically considered their movie. That's why, you know, at the end of the, of the credits, you know, the director gets the last, you know, the, the last title mm-hmm. uh, sequence, you know, in, in, the making of a TV show, the focus is more on the writing, at least for me. I mean, the director certainly sets the tone, but um, to me, the all-important person is the writer because um, they're, they, they're making what, what's happening on it. But the fact that there are female directors, I think that's a great thing. I also think that has to do with what's happening in Hollywood. Um, the last question I have for you is, um, you, you know, you mentioned five and six, and and so if Sony got their way, they would make uh, every book a, to keep a it season. on going. The problem is they got a distributing partner in Stars. Do you think Stars wants to continue investing in Outlander after five and six? I think Stars would if it continues to do well for them. I mean, if they see, I mean, obviously you hope that a show like Outlander brings in new subscribers and it was very smart for them to develop this show because they knew there was a huge audience out there mm-hmm. who read all the books. So ideally all these people would subscribe to the network. Um, um, I, 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 I wonder if they did, I'm assuming they did. Um, uh, so as long as those people still, still come, I think they'll stay with it. Um, it's going to get more expensive. You know, you've got, uh, it's, we're going into the fourth season. There's a very good chance the actors have already renegotiated their contracts and that even though a typical actor's contract goes through year six, the actor's uh, reps sometimes even after year three start to go back and, you know, start looking for a raise. And so you've got those categories. It's the same with the writers. They're going to want more money too. The show ain't cheap to do. And so, you know, that means the production budget for Sony gets bigger and they're, they're going to turn around and charge more from stars to license the show. And so as long as stars is getting the viewership they need, they'll find, they'll say it's worth it. Um, I, they really seem invested in the show. So I don't get the sense they have any interest in 
getting out of the business uh, after six. I mean, it's really appointment television for them. It's a good brand for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're trying to, the one thing is stars is really trying to make their mark by going, doing, uh, uh, producing shows that uh, attract different audiences. Audiences aren't necessarily targeted with uh, by other networks. Um, so, like Vita, for example, they're going after Latinas. Um, you know, Power. They obviously were pushing very hard for the African American audience, which worked hugely well. And so, I, I don't know. Outlander feels a little more like a bigger tent. Um, show it should be appealing to more people but it it actually doesn't you know i thought i thought it would have appealed to more women and men but it's it's still more specific to women so then maybe that does fit into their their business plan of to going after a very specific audience but you know they they dig this show they're they're loving it i think the other, other variable too is the fact that they have new owners you know lionsgate is now their their owner, you know, they may have Lionsgate may come in and have completely different ideas about what they want from stars. I don't know how long Chris Albrecht, who currently runs stars, how long he's going to stay with the network. And he was the one that was there who helped develop this. Um, I don't know. There's some, there's some interesting variables that are at work in the next year, but right now I feel like um, it's not going anywhere. We want to kind of leave the listeners off with maybe a little tease. What do you think was the best performance of season four so far? You know, whose performance so far? Are you like, yep, I cannot person. say enough about that John Bell. I love that John Bell so much. He is so great. And he and the dog, they are delightful together. Um, that I, you know, the, there's a lot of fun stories just about what it was like to work with the dog. Because as you know, in the books, this dog is supposed to be a half wolf. It's very hard to turn a domesticated puppy into a half wolf for the movie. <laughs> and so, I mean, he may not deliver the way that you expect from the books, but they're so cute together. And John Bell has so much personality, uh, and uh, he's so much fun to watch. I, I loved him. I, I really love him. I, and he's really amassing quite a following, too, because he's such a delightful dude off camera. So he's the dude to watch. Well, thank you again so much. This was just such a joy. And I'm so happy to hear that you're enjoying season four so much so far. And just know that our listeners really appreciate you taking the time to have this talk with us. My pleasure. Lynette Rice, everybody. Thank you very much to Lynette for joining us. And uh, as I was very excited for season four of Outland, uh, when we talked to Diana, I think... I'm even more excited now for Outlander season four after talking with Lynette. And I'm I'm very excited about it because there's a lot of things that she brings up um, that that really helps give us a good feel for season four. For example, like I think about John Bell, right? Uh, you know, I, I, I loved uh, little Wee Ian. Uh, well, I mean... I was an okay fan of Wee Ian, but hearing her excitement about it mm. and their excitement about John Bell and all the things that pertain to him and, and his dog and everything, um, I think that gives <laughs> us a good feel for what we're we're getting towards. And yeah. and even even like the thing where she's like, you know, we're we're we have the pace that we've set in the in the premiere, and it's this is more about 
finding a home for Jamie and Claire, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I mean, I think that's something that you've looked forward to, right, my darling? Oh my gosh, it's one of the aspects that I am most looking forward to. I am just pumped to see them in their new home and just finding their new rhythm in life. It's funny, you know, some people like the action, some people like the dramatic parts. I often just like the simple moments, the little house in the prairie moments of mm. they're learning how to be in this colonial new world. So yes, I'm I'm really excited. And as as you heard in the interview, the long hours in this cold weather and conditions that they had to go through mm-hmm. and yet to still be just as passionate. I bet a lot of people listening to that were like, oh, I could pretend. I could <laughs> I could act out that scene for 14 hours. Well, yeah, I was going to say, because, you know, you love the Little House in the Prairie moments, but I, I think that you like the... Uh, <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> uh, sex portions, perhaps? More? Yeah. Well, listen... I'm not going to say you're right. <laughs> but I'm n- you're not going to say I'm wrong either. <laughs> hey, listen, I've already been proven right enough oh, on yeah, this podcast. Yeah, we don't need to inflate your ego. Do I, do I need anymore. to ring the bell? Should I ring the bell? For- I would actually, I'm all set with not hearing it for at least one week. <laughs> <laughs> so I hope that you enjoyed that episode, of course. We are so thankful that Lynette took the time to chat with us. And if you have any feedback on this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Right. And this will be the our last episode for our cast before the season four premiere. So everybody get ready. Everybody get pumped and jacked, baby. It's the premiere. It's coming. Woo! I'm here. I just talked to Diana Gabaldon and Lynette Rice. I'm, I'm jacked, baby. We're ready. We're I'm, ready. Well, let's, let's close out the show. All right. Let's get it done. Jim, listening to this, can you do me a favor and screenshot your phone? I would love for you to share this in your Instagram stories, in your Facebook stories. Heck, if you want to be big time commitment, you want big time commitment with us, put us in your real news feed. Tweet, <laughs> post it in your Instagram feed. Let people know about OutlanderCast. That's the easiest way that people learn about podcasts. We're still like this little funky hidden community being podcasters and podcast <laughs> listeners. So if you enjoyed this, if you enjoyed our previous interview, please let people know. Give us a shout out. Tag us. And uh, you could also give us a review on your podcast app of choice. We want to thank Michelle in VA. Good old Virginia. Michelle writes, I look forward to the podcast every week, especially while the show is airing. Mary and Blake listen to each other, but often have different takes in the same scene. They are warm, funny, enthusiastic, and knowledgeable, all without being overdramatic or dismissive. Oh, hey, girl. Thank you so much. And just thank you all for listening, because guess what? It's almost here. You know, I'm surprised we actually haven't had any mean ones lately. I, I, oh, I just do. wait. Just wait until the season starts. I know, that's true. I love reading the mean ones. That's when the hate is going to hate. It used to, it used <laughs> to really bother me. Like, I, I want to say, like, oh, it never bothered me. I don't care. You know, like, people are people, whatever. But it used to, like, don't get me. Don't ask from hate ones. Though, I'm not like. asking for them. <laughs> I'm just saying it used to really bother me, and, and now it doesn't. And I kind of get entertained by by the mean ones. <laughs> wow. It's like the mean tweets. Yeah, that's it's, really enter- it, it's entertaining. Agreed. It has value. Well, you know who we are not mean to? 
Who's our that? patrons, <laughs> the OutlanderCastClan.com members. Those who donate as little as $2 a month, it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. It helps keep our website, the podcast, our blog, everything. It keeps everything moving, everything happy. So thank you if you've taken the time and put your hard-earned money towards OutlanderCast. Thank you. We want to give a very special thanks to our most generous sponsors, Carolyn, Celine, Heather, Jennifer, Marilyn, Mary, Michelle, and Patricia, as well as Barbara, Carolyn, Dana, Keelan, Lisa, Liz, Meredith, Renal, Sharon, Sue, Tara, Tina, and Tracy, and last but certainly not least, Anne, Bobby, Jen, Peg, and Shannon. Thank you so much, guys. And if you want to become uh, part of the Outlander Cast Clan, the bonus clan like these ladies here, and, and guys, go to OutlanderCastClan.com where you get tons of great things, tons of great perks, uh, like the After Dark episodes that we're going to be doing this season, uh, which are episodes that Mary and I do just having fun after our recordings, talking about whatever we damn well please. It could be maybe about the World Series. Maybe it's about... Um, Diana, maybe it's about Outlander. Maybe it's the fact that our kids are really sick right now, and I <laughs> feel bad. So I feel bad for our babysitter upstairs, but she's doing a great job. Good way to go, girl. Um, but yeah, go to OutlanderCast.clan.com and check us all out there and see all the amazing perks that we have in that amazing community, one that talks with each other on an every single day basis. Well, in the meantime, my darling, I, I think that's it. I that think we're is done. it. We need to take a big old sleep and get ready yeah. to re-watch as much Outlander as we possibly can, <laughs> listen to as much Bear Creary as we can, pretend we're Diana Gabaldon and just like write listening to Bear's score, and get ready. Get ready, guys. So thank you once again for listening, for being a member of the Outlander Cast Clan and the Outlander Cast Clan Gathering. Thank you to the Outlander Cast staff. Without you... We'd be lost. <laughs> All right. For now, gotta wait for that last note. That was beautiful. My name's Mary. <laughs> My name's Blake, and I popped a jack. Let's go, baby. Come on now. You popped a jack? I'm pumped and jacked. Oh. <laughs> I popped a jack. No, that's This Is Us. <laughs> Our other uh, podcast, by the way. Okay, let's let's close the show. These people are done with us. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're going to keep talking until season four is here. They're like, come on already. End the show. <laughs> you jamokes. <laughs> My name's Mary. My name's Blake. And this is even <laughs> this isn't us. You've been listening to Outlander Cast. It is late. We we're tired. This is the problem when you podcast about two shows at the same time. Yeah. You've been listening to Outlander Cast, guys. <laughs> Bye guys. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.